step up to a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit. iFit controls speed, incline, and decline, which means the treadmill automatically mimics the changing terrain on the screen or adjusts the speed to the trainer's cues without you having to touch a thing. Explore Nordic Track treadmills at nordictrack.com. Welcome to AMR Trains, a podcast about training and racing and endurance sports. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. Today, we're continuing the body series where we tackle a variety of physical issues and injuries common to runners. We're heading to the ground level and talking about our feet. And I am so thrilled to talk to Karen Langon. Oh gosh, I didn't ask you how to say your last name. How do you say it, Karen? Langon, you were close. Langone. Okay. Uh, So we're talking to Dr. Karen Langone today. She is the president of the American Association for Women Podiatrists and a past president of the American Academy of Podiatric Sports Medicine. Oh my gosh. I'm screwing everything up. Say it. Podiatric? How do you say? Podiatric. You got it. Podiatric sports medicine. Okay. In addition, she's been on the medical team for a variety of events, including the Boston Marathon, the New York City Marathon, and the Long Island Marathon. She practices in Southampton, New York. So welcome, Karen. Thanks for um, helping me bumble through that intro. (laughs) Um, Tell us about yourself. How did you get interested in feet? Well, uh, you know, I've always been athletic and I always loved sports. Um, from when I was young, I was just always constantly in motion. And unfortunately, my feet would always bother me. So my love for the two and my love of science uh, led me here, uh, you know, where I spend my time working with athletes and having a really good time. Um, I want to thank you for inviting me here. Your community is absolutely fabulous. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. Um, so are you a runner yourself, Karen? Or do you like to I run? am, you know, uh, definitely slower than I was before. But in my head and my heart, I remain a, a competitive runner. Nice, nice. I love it. So it sounds like you see athletes um, at your practice regularly. You see a lot of runners on a daily basis. Yes, we do. I have probably runners more than other sports enthusiasts. And, you know, out here, especially now with the quarantine restrictions, um, we live in a place that's really very beautiful. And so as gyms closed, so many more people who were doing different things before naturally started running because it was one of the few things that they could just get outside and start to do. So it's been a lot of fun. Nice. So um, I'm just going to hit you with a big one. As a okay. rule, how well do, do runners take care of their feet? Are we good about it? Or is it a case of when it hurts, then we start to care? I, I think, unfortunately, it's the latter. Once they hurt, then, you know, we start to pay attention. But I think that's true of all of us. You know, we just sort of get up, put on our socks, shove them in our shoes, and we don't really think much about it until we start to run into issues. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's a couple topics I want to cover. I want to talk shoes and injuries and best practices to prevent injury. Um, So let's start with shoes. What are your tried and true ideas and tips for making sure that um, a listener is in the right shoes? Okay, so I think one of the most crucial things about shoes is fit and size. Um, I tell everybody, always go and get your shoes at the end of the day. You know, feet will tend to swell and expand either from our workouts or just from our normal activity through the course of the day. So something that you purchase at five or six o'clock will be comfortable in the morning. 
But if you get up on a day off and run out and purchase shoes, you may find that as time goes on and you're on your feet or you go for a run, you really don't like them that much anymore. Um, you know, for years as podiatrists, we had sort of this paradigm that we used. You know, if you're a flat foot, you have to get a heavy motion control shoe. And if you're a high arch foot, you want the opposite. And we've really started to move away from that now and really are looking at what the evidence says. And it seems that across the board, one of the most realistic predictors of whether a runner is going to get injured or not is the comfort level that they have when they're in their shoes. So we'll tell people, you know, go get a good fit. You want that from the tip of your longest toe to the end of the shoe, you have your thumbs width in space. So you have enough room for the foot to migrate forward as you run, also to accommodate for any swelling and expansion. You want the widest part of your foot to correspond to the widest part of the shoe. You don't want your foot hanging over the sole. That sole should really support the foot and the shoe should feel comfortable. You know, you should put it on and it should say to you, this is it. Uh, no such thing as breaking in a shoe. You never want to get stuck in that. If you put it on, there's anything about it that you don't like, then don't get it. And always try on your shoes with the sock that you'll be utilizing when you're in that shoe. Okay. And so during COVID, does that just mean I'm ordering, you know, three or four boxes, different styles from Zappos and trying them on and then sending back the ones that don't work? Or how do you have any advice for dealing with it in the pandemic if you don't have a a running store that you could go try them on at? You know, I, I always recommend to people that if they can, they go at least for that first fit to a good running store. But for a lot of people, even before COVID, geographically, that just wasn't possible. For a lot of people, they only have a big box store or something like that that's nearby. And it makes it a lot more difficult. Um, from what I've seen with most of the retailers, they've done a great job in trying to be as, you know, COVID friendly as possible, you know, and have really handled all the precautions and are making it as safe as possible. But given that, yeah, that's a fine way to go is, you know, Zappos ships for free. So if you order 10 pair, you know, and you're going to keep two, the rest of them are all going back. And at least it hasn't cost you excessively, you know, to ship everything back and forth. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And their return policy is generous so that you do get a good amount of time to try them on and to see that you really do like them. But, you know, of course, I always think it's best if you can really go to a good running store if you have that capability nearby totally agree. And I, and I often, I also agree that, that they are going above and beyond trying to uh, take care of their athletes and their customers. So definitely that's their first, that's your first, uh, first option, if you can make that happen. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about pregnancy um, and how that changes your feet, because I'm not sure my feet got longer, but I feel like they got wider. And like, after I had my first kid was when my bunion started like, which, which, which prior to having her was not a, not an issue. And then all of a sudden it became this huge ball of pain. Right. Um, and maybe it's because I didn't change my shoes. Um, well, there's definitely changes that go on, you know, first of all, if, if one was to gain weight normally under circumstances, you gain it all across your body, it's all evenly distributed. And then of course, in pregnancy, that's not the case. So our center of gravity really shifts during pregnancy. And as you continue to run, that's definitely going to have an effect into your feet and how comfortable you feel in your footwear. But of course, the hormone relaxin that's released in order to allow us to deliver these you know, babies uh, also will cause all the ligaments in the body to stretch and to play out a bit. And so most women will say, 
that the favorite shoes they had before just don't work anymore, or that they notice different things have started to become problematic, you know, after they've had a pregnancy. And that's super common to see. And again, you just really have to try to go with it, change your shoes as you need to. A lot of women get uh, more swelling of the feet and legs, you know, especially towards the end of their pregnancy that you need to accommodate for. I think a nice thing now is that so many sneakers are made with fabric top covers. So we're not as locked and restricted as we used to be when there was more binding on the top of the shoes. And that gives us a little more flexibility. But definitely, again, you know, you always want to make sure that fit is good and that you're comfortable. But you're right, you will see changes in the foot, you know, after a pregnancy. Kids get you right from the beginning. That's what I always say. The little devils. And is it, does it, I mean, so it, does it, um, does the effect of having being pregnant and on your feet, does that abate with each additional pregnancy, do you know, or is it like, so the first one hits you the hardest, the second one, maybe not as hard up to, you know, maybe if you're having six kids that may not make a change or is every pregnancy different and it, it always has the possibility of changing things. I think by and large, although everything is unique and every individual is unique, most women will notice it's the first one where they really see the most significant change and then more subtle changes subsequently from there. Okay. A lot of um, issues that I know are more cumulative are when women have their children close together. So, you know, that seems to, you haven't really recovered from the first and perhaps then, you know, you have a, the second child. And so that becomes a little more cumulative than when children are more spaced out. Sure. Um, okay. So this might uh, change or might be an individual recommendation, but we always get the question, how often do you need to change your running shoes? Is it still by mileage? Is it by looking at it? Like what's, what's the current line? So I think looking at the shoe, you know, the shoes are going to look great for a very long time. So I always tell everybody, start to think you've got 350 to 400 miles on those shoes. And when you think about it, that is not a lot of time. You know, for most people, that's three and a half, four months tops. So one of the things I always recommend is take a permanent marker and on the inside of the tongue, just write the month that you got the shoe. Because time goes by and we forget and lives are busy. And, you know, in three and a half months, you're not even going to realize that you need new shoes. But I think that's a great way to do it. Um, I like to when people rotate several pair of shoes into their armamentarium. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be the same brand or model of shoe. You might have two different things or three different things that you rotate through. That'll extend the life a little bit as well, because after you run or work out hard in the shoe or even spend all day walking in it, the soft components of the shoe and our shoes now have much more gel and air and goo and all these different proprietary components in them. And that will compress down. And it takes about 24 hours for that to bounce back up again. So if you're running five days a week and you're doing back-to-back -back days in those shoes, they're not going to feel that great by the end of the week. And it will take its toll sooner on the shoe. That's a great point. Is it healthier for your feet to be in the different shoes? I mean, I've definitely heard people say I switch it up to make sure that, you know, keep, keep my feet, keep my body guessing. Is that, is that, is there any validity to that? I do like that because each shoe is going to ride a little bit differently, right? You never find two shoes that you say like, oh yes, I wear this and this and they feel exactly the same to me. Everything is going to be a little different. So you're kind of spreading out the work and the stress into the feet and the lower leg muscles by alternating those shoes and not getting in a repetitive routine that we stress the same things the same way all the time. Okay. Um, and what about 
uh, minimalist versus, you know, something built up like a Hoka. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, is that again, um, a, an individual situation or do you have a more of a blanket recommendation, especially as we get older and our joints might not feel quite as springy as they used to. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I think a lot of people will notice that, that over time, the shoes they wore, let's say when they were 20 and they're 40 or as they're 50 are not really the same shoe anymore. And there's a lot to that. Materials have changed. The shoe components change. The design changes all the time. Um, it is very interesting to me that at one end of the spectrum, you've got people running in minimal issues. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people in hokas and alpha flies. And you think, how can all this coexist in the same world? But it just shows you how unique we all are as runners and how different things work for each of us. Um, You know, a lot of it, too, is dependent upon what particular problems that you have. You know, in a minimalist shoe, you're going to land onto the forefoot. You're going to come down a little bit softer because intrinsically you have to. You know, the heel can take a lot more than the forefoot is going to be able to take. And if you look at injuries... Injuries haven't ended by switching from one kind of shoe to another, but the way that we see the injuries and where they manifest themselves has definitely changed. Um, so, you know, so for some people with knee pain, they'll report that going to a four-foot strike and using a more minimal shoe has been fantastic for them. Um, all shoes, though, have gotten much more minimal over time. I, you know, I'm sure you've noticed that. You know, with the drop, the differential from the back of the shoe to the front of the shoe, which used to be, you know, eight, 12 millimeters, now is pretty much down into the sixes, and then it goes down into the fours. And a lot of that is, you know, as light shoes came out, then suddenly everything became about getting the shoe to be as streamlined and as minimal and as light as possible. And once people's put a Nike free on their foot, then they didn't want to go and wear a big motion control shoe that weighed, you know, 20 ounces more. So the shoes have really morphed themselves over time and gotten more minimalist. Um, And one of the things I've noticed is that, let's say for somebody like myself, who's run for, well, I'm not even going to tell you how many years, but, you know, (laughs) our Achilles and our plantar fascias were sort of adapted to these 12 millimeter drops. And so as the shoes started to progress and to change, you know, our Achilles and our plantar fascia suddenly had to stretch out more and work into a new world where the drops are much more different. So, um, and, and without commenting on any brand or anything, I mean, so somebody like myself, who's 48, um, if I wanted to try and had been a runner for a long time, if I wanted to try a zero drop shoe, would that be a good idea or maybe not? Or again, I mean, I, I realize I'm trying to make you make blanket recommendations on, you know, for random, for, for probably individual cases, but I mean, zero drop shoes, are they, are they, what's your take on them? Well, I think that everybody can incorporate them into their routine. The question becomes, how much can you incorporate it into your routine? So whenever we have somebody who wants to make a switch, I think one of the key things, and one of the reasons why a lot of people had a hard time with adapting to minimal issues is you have to start very, very slowly. You know, you get them, and at first I would say to people, literally just kind of wear them around the house. Then go out in your backyard, on the grass, 
and maybe just do a few strides back and forth, you know, do 50 yards or so, see how that feels and just slowly kind of work it into your routine before you take it out on the concrete or the asphalt or the treadmill and see where that sweet spot is of what's challenging different muscles, what's getting you to work in a different way, you know, what's causing you to become more aware of how you move. Because one of the good things about the minimalist movement is that it made us more aware of our form to some extent. You know, you're a tennis player, you, you obsess about your form or a golfer. As runners, we really never did that. You know, when we started running in the 70s, we just went out and ran. And that was, you know, that was it. That was all we thought about. So adding and changing it up a little bit, as long as you do it slowly and you learn to see what your tolerance level is, can be a really good thing. You know, you see the pictures of people who run marathons and come across the finish line in flip-flops. I mean, some people have perfect mechanicals, you know, perfect mechanics, perfect biomechanics, they can do it. And there are other people whose minimalist adventure is going to be maybe 25 yards in the backyard, but that's okay. It works different muscles, it stresses different things. It's all good. It's just that question of what is the, what's the sweet spot for you? All right. I like it. I like it. Whatever your reason for running indoors, whether parenting duties, safety, or convenience, you owe it to yourself to get a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit Interactive Connected Technology. It's a game changer. With a huge touchscreen, iFit transports you to an energetic studio workout class or stunning locations filmed in more than 40 countries across all seven continents. iFit offers up thousands of on-demand workouts from walking and hiking excursions up to speed building intervals and everything in between. There are even yoga boot camp and cross training sessions that will have you hopping off the treadmill. As I await delivery of my Nordic Track treadmill with iFit technology, I'm living vicariously through other mother runners who are already putting in miles on theirs, like Pam Harris, who was a guest on last week's show. Pam wrote in an email, I love using the iFit workouts on my Nordic Track treadmill to travel out of my house. I'm a beach girl stuck far from the ocean, so my favorite runs always involve the water, like today's four-miler along the coast of Santa Cruz, California. I also enjoy walking and hiking tours that take me to faraway locales. I've been traversing New England with trainers Jed Brophy and Graham McTavish, and I adore both the scenery and the guy's banter. Working from home, I sweet-talk my dad into making me a treadmill desk, and I walk and work for an hour or so several days a week. As Pam details, the possibilities on a Nordic track are endless. To see what she and I are talking about, head to nordictrack.com. That's N-O-R-D-I-C-T-R-A-C-K.com. See where you can go with Nordic Track Treadmill with iFit. All right. So when you see your runners uh, coming through your office, um, is there an injury? Like, is there like a top three injuries that you see a lot or is it, um, talk about that? Is it plantar fasciitis? Sure. Yeah. Top, top injury by far, I would say plantar fasciitis followed by Achilles tendonitis and then followed by knee pain, or I guess what we would call patellofemoral pain syndrome. Those would be my top three. Okay. And, um, any like plantar fasciitis, I feel that's like the one injury I feel like I've never had as far as running goes. And it seems like a real, excuse my language, but a bitch of an injury, right? It's so hard to get rid of, isn't it? It can be, you know, for some people, they'll really deal with this thing for six months. And for other people, you can attribute it to, you know, a specific training injury or a specific event where they push too hard or they switch shoes or something like that. And you can really, you know, wrap it up very, you know, very quickly. But for some people, you're right. It really can be one of those really nagging, annoying injuries. 
So if you were um, talking, if someone here is listening is either suffering from it or feels like it's coming on, what is your best advice for them? Okay, so first I would say, just look and see if there's any possibility that anything you've done in your training may have precipitated it. You know, you went and, you know, you tripled your mileage, or you jumped into a race that you really weren't ready for, or you did more hills than you're accustomed to. That would be the first thing that I would look for. Uh, You did a different strength training program, anything like that. Look and see if there's anything in your training program that did it. Then I would say, look at your shoes. Are they just worn? You know, are they shot? And do they need to be replaced six months ago? And if so, do that. Um, You know, from there, then I would look to any other changes. Have you changed uh, the shoe that you're working out in? For a lot of people now with the pandemic and the restrictions, a lot of people have been barefoot more in their house than before. Whereas before they got up every day, put on shoes, went out to work, they had some form of support there. And now maybe you're kicking around the house all day, you know, barefoot or just in your socks and not realizing that you're throwing more stress and strain into there. So those would be the first things to look for. And once you can find something like that, that's gonna be much easier to turn around because you can kind of really see, okay, this is what I think did it. So therefore I can treat the symptoms you know, safely and I'll change what was that wrong component and I'll get better. It's more the person who just says, yeah, nothing is different, nothing is new. It just came on little by little by little. Then it's gonna be a question more that there's something in your mechanics or your flexibility or your strength that needs to be addressed. And that's gonna take a little bit more of a, you know, diving into the issue to figure it out. Okay, nice. Um, what about Achilles tendonitis? Is that, is, is that a same, similar thing? What can bring the same kind of thing? And I think that, you know, the Achilles tendonitis can even be more recalcitrant because the way um, that we develop most of it, well, the area that we develop it is an area where the circulation is really not that good. So inflammation can get into that Achilles and then it just embeds in there and sort of breeds upon itself. So in my experience, that's one of the more difficult things to really get a handle on and to get patients feeling better quickly. That's a tougher one. That's a tougher one. And then finally, the knee pain. Um, it's funny that they were coming to a podiatrist for knee pain. What, what do you think brings them to you? A lot of times, you know, they've either gone for physical therapy or the runner is aware of the fact that, hey, I think that because my feet are very flat or they pronate really excessively, that that's what's driving my knee pain. And so they'll come in to see if we can take a look at that. And I think, too, a lot of it is also that if they know that it's someone who handles sports a lot, they'll kind of start there. And even though it may be something that I can't treat for them. At least I can identify where the pathology lies and then get them to whom they need to go to in order to get it corrected. Sure. Sure. Well, and what I love um, your website, which we'll link to in the podcast notes. um, I mean, you have a whole uh, encyclopedia of exercises that are basically a lot of exercises that if anyone's been to a physical therapist, you know, it's clamshells, it's bird dog, it's right. Um, that kind of thing, which I really appreciate um, as someone who specializes on the feet because it um, nods to the fact that everything is connected, right? And you can't just treat your feet in a vacuum, can you? No. And, and one of the things, you know, I do a lot of lectures at conferences and things like that. And what I'll always say to people is you can't stop at the ankle and just look at the athlete there. You have to look at the whole athlete and see what else may be going on. 
And even if it's not in, in my wheelhouse to treat, I at least need to be able to recognize that pathology lies someplace else. If not, you, what happens is the athlete just cycles through again and again. They come in with plantar fasciitis, someone treats that. Then they come back with another problem. And they just go in this spiral of continual injuries. And that's what you don't want to have happen. You know, you want the athlete to come in. You want to be able to help them with the problem that they came to you for. But you also want to be able to see if there are other issues that they should work on. And so that they don't become someone who, you know, runs for six months. They're doing okay. Then they get injured. They treat that. And then they go through the same cycle again and again and again. That's what you don't want. You want to get that athlete as healthy and as functional as possible for the long haul. Nice. Um, so one more injury question, and this might, hopefully this doesn't come too far out of left field, but um, I have a good friend who lives in St. Paul, who's a runner. And she was talking to me about how she got a plantar plate tear. And, oh. she, and she said, um, you know, it's very common in like middle-aged women. <laughs> and I was like, oh, whatever. I've never heard of it before. You know, what you're not, not she's, she, I mean, I believed her, but I was just like, I've never heard of it before. Of course, like, you know, seven months later, what do I get a planted plate tear? Um, and I'm just curious, is that, have you seen that with, I mean, again, our, our audience is kind of, you know, um, 40, 55 year old women. Like, do we see, do you see that a lot? Or is that just, is that just a random coincidence? No, I mean, we are seeing that a lot. Um, and I think it's one of those things too, that Prior to, let's say, the past five, six years or so, it was an injury that I think went very under-identified. And so people would say, oh, you, you, know, you have some pain in the ball of the foot, you have this, you have that, you have a hammer toe, you have bursitis. And I think now it's just that diagnostically, we're able to see much more and we're able to really appreciate the complexity of the structures around there, you know, with the use of MRIs and things like that, and really get a better handle on the injury itself and address it more completely. Okay. And so if somebody, so it's, it's, it's in the ball of the foot, just describe it a little bit, because I do think that I, it can be a number of things, right. But describe yes. what plantar plate tear feels like. So the plantar plate tear is an area where the toe meets into the metatarsal at the ball of the foot. And there's a capsule. So envision it like a big ball surrounding that joint with all the muscles, tendons, ligaments, coming in and around there, because the only thing that hold our bones together are the ligaments. And then all these muscular attachments going around are what actually cause movement through that joint. So any of those structures can start to weaken and can start to tear. Um, more common if someone has um, you know, a high arch foot, if they have hammer toes or bending of the digits or anything like that, it throws more stress and strain. And so those structures can weaken with repetitive activity and you'll start to get small tears within them. And usually what differentiates them from other issues is that the pain is usually pretty severe and it really hampers people from being able to do their normal activities. And we see it a lot in athletes because as athletes, you know, we take many more steps in the course of the day. And we tend to see it more, yes, in people in their 40s and 50s, again, because you've taken millions of steps compared to you know a 10-year-old who hasn't taken quite so many. So it's really just the magnification of that repetitive stress and strain over time that leads us to developing many of the issues that we find. Ah, okay. So it's not just coming for us middle-aged, it's just coming for people who have taken a lot of steps. That makes me feel better. Yeah, it's more, I think, you know, people say that all the time. Well, is it age? You know, is this my age? No, it's really more the number of steps that you've taken. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I've taken a lot. Not to encourage anybody to be a couch potato though, you know? No, of course not. Um, okay. And then let's talk orthotics for a minute um, and who they best serve. Um, if, if somebody, yeah, just talk about your orthotics and who they best serve. Okay. I think the, the orthotics work very well when you've taken somebody and they've done all their homework and they've stretched and they've strengthened and they've gotten the right shoe and they're in a good routine and they've got a good cross training program and they're training smart and still they're finding themselves in, you know, just either a nagging injury that won't go away or the repetitive cycle of injury that they just can't break. And when you look at them and you see that as they move, there's obviously issues in how they're functioning that are not correct and you know that are not being addressed despite their efforts to stretch and strengthen and that's where an orthotic can come in okay so if you so if i come in say with my first time i'm seeing you and i have plantar fasciitis orthotics might not be the first thing you turn to obviously no, not unless you came in and said to me, you know, I've had this 10 times and last year it was my Achilles and I had, you know, shin splints and I've had knee pain and all these different things back and forth. No. And if you had a really good training program and, you know, you're working well and you're, you're working on your strength, you're working on your flexibility. No, that first time we're not. We're going to try the conservative things. We're going to have you stretch. Uh, you know, we're going to have you ice, we're going to have you roll, we're going to have you do all that and work it through first before we start moving into an orthotic. Okay, good to know. All right, so best practices, right? Um, if you had, a, if you wanted to tell our listeners what the best things they could do for their feet are to avoid injury and keep them healthy, what would you, what would you say? Train smart, mm -hmm. get the right shoe, um, keep a good journal of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Take a look at your feet every now and then, you know, just look, treat them nice, uh, you know, use some lotion on them occasionally, you know, keep them moisturized, um, check in between the toes, dry really well in through there, um, you know, take care of your nails, use mostly a nail file rather than using anything sharp to really try to dig around. If you start getting injuries, treat them right away, but really just generally take a look at them. And if you start to see the things are shifting or train or changing, get some advice, but be kind to them more than anything else. Treat, it would be nice if we, as women, treated our feet as well as we treat our faces. Ha, I like that. That is a good line. That is a good line to end on. But I, but I, but I want to stop for one second because I want to, I know everyone's going to go, but toenails, you mentioned it briefly, toenail care. Am I cutting them short and just keeping them as short as possible? Like what's the best way to avoid black toenails, ingrown toenails, anything that hurts that I've caused by the care of how I've kept them up? Okay. So, you know, we, we joke with patients all the time because, you know, you can pretty much tell a runner from their toenails, right? Or a tennis player from their toenails, or, you know, back when Jane Fonda had everybody doing aerobics, you would see the same thing. Um, you know, certainly we beat the heck out of them. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Most important thing, of course, is the shoe fit. You know, if your nails are constantly banging against the end of the shoe, then that's going to be a problem because you're going to hit against the end of the shoe and the nails are going to suffer a lot of trauma and you're going to get those black toenails 
nails and the bleeding underneath the nails, and it's, it's going to be an issue. Um, so shoe fit is really, really important as far as that goes. Generally, you know, you want to keep them relatively short, um, you know, just a little bit of that white showing on the nail. And I think it's always best, you know, look at them frequently. Every other week, if you take an emery board, just kind of file them across, nice and simple, keep it easy, and they should be fine. If you have a tendency towards ingrown toenails, you may need to see somebody for that, um, you know, who can take care of it better for you and help you to avoid problems. Awesome. Karen, you are a wealth of information. I could talk to you forever. I just was texting someone before. I'm like, I think I'm more interested in feet than the average person because I have like this whole list of things I want to go through, but I'm going to let you go. It's Friday afternoon and you've been so helpful. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, feet are the wheels of the body. So without our wheels, where are we going? You know, and, and I think that's what I love about what we do is we keep people active. We keep people doing the things they love to do, whether it's you running a marathon or it's someone else just able to live alone because they can move around and take care of themselves. I think that's invaluable. Once we can't do that and once you're not able to do things you want to do, quality of life just so diminishes. So I think that's what's so important about, uh, you know, about being in podiatry. Yeah. No, as someone who's suffered a variety of foot injuries and situations, it, there's nothing like it, right? When you can't get around the way you want to, it is just, it is, it's emotionally debilitating and it's physically debilitating. Right. Know, so. And I think it's been magnified now because there is so little that of our normal lives that we can do that the one thing we really need to be able to do to deal with the anxiety and the stress of what we're going through is to be able to get out and to work out to whatever capacity that may be, you know, whether it's someone who walks a mile a day or someone who's training for a marathon, you know, it's so important for us mentally and physically to be able to do that. Totally. So what are your workout plans for this weekend? Uh, let's see. So today I did a hit workout. So tomorrow I think I'll hit the Peloton a little bit and then uh, hopefully Sunday get outside. Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. Take care, Karen. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you.